Hey, welcome to the podcast for Scotts Hill Baptist Church. We hope this message helps you discern what is true, what is right, and what is good. Also, we pray that it acts as an encouragement to you today. We are currently in a series called The Movement, which is a study of the book of Acts. We are specifically looking at God's movement through the early church. Enjoy the message. Well, good morning and welcome to the in-person gathering at Scotts Hill Baptist Church. Those of you who are watching us online, we're so glad that you're able to join us. My name is Phil Ortico. I serve as a senior pastor here. And those of you who are in the Crosspoint Center in our mask-only service, let me give a shout-out to you. Thank you for your faithfulness week in and week out going into the Crosspoint Center and joining together with a group of believers as we celebrate and worship our Lord and our Savior. We're so glad you're able to join us. Before I get started this morning. We put out this new little magazine that we want to put into all of your hands. Online you can access this in some other ways, but in person we have these available for you. And these show the activities that we're going to be doing at Scotts Hill for the next six months or five months, I should say. And as you thumb through here, you'll see a number of activities. And on the back section of this, the last pages are calendars. And we want to encourage you to find the events that you want to be a part of and Point those out on your calendar so that you can be reminded of participating in these events. One of the events coming up is the very first one that we have, and that is going to be on January the 31st, which is very, very significant. On the inside of this page is a night of prayer. We're calling our church body to a time of concentrated prayer. One of our core values is we seek God in prayer. And if there's ever been a time in the life of the church and in the life of our nation that we need to come together to pray, it is now. We've seen so many things in the last year. And we sense that the Spirit of God is leading us to a place of praying together. Asking God's forgiveness, repenting in the areas where we need to repent, calling for wisdom and mercy and direction as the church moves forward in this new age. So we want to encourage you to come and be a part of that. We're going to sing together. We're also going to do the Lord's Supper together. And we want to, we want to pack this place out, which will be the 31st on a, su- a Sunday evening, 6 p.m. right here. So we want to encourage you to come be a part of that. This morning, I'm beginning a brand new series on the book of Acts. I think that this is a providential series. The Holy Spirit led us to work on this this past summer, and now we are coming into this new year, and we want to begin this study. It is an exciting book. It is a fascinating book. It is a book that's filled with all kind of movement in it. Ray Steadman kind of defines in his opening um, introduction on the book of Acts, he tells a story of three men, an American, an Englishman, and an Irishman. And all three of them went to Rome together. And as they were all in Rome together, they went to the Vatican City. They had a bishop that was giving them a tour of all the area. And they came to this one particular strange area. Out in the middle of all of these these buildings was a chicken coop. Not a coop, just a chicken yard. And in that chicken yard was a single hen. And that hen was just walking back and forth. And the bishop said, i got to show you something very important. You see that hen? That hen is a direct descendant of the rooster that crowed the night that Peter denied Jesus. And they thought, wow, that's pretty impressive. And an American asked the question, wow, can I buy it? How much is it? The Englishman asked the question, he says, how many generations have been since that rooster crowed and now? 
And the Irishman was very practical. His question was, can it lay eggs? And when you think of the book of Acts, it's not about just this, this heritage being passed down from the disciples to other people. It is about apostolic success. It is about the accomplishment of the gospel impacting the whole world. The book of Acts is a historical book. It is a narrative that has been inspired by the Holy Spirit. The book of Acts is so important for the church because if it were not for the book of Acts, we would not even know how the gospel spread from Jerusalem to the ends of the earth. And so as we begin our study this morning, I want to share with you some preliminary things that you and I need to know when we're dealing with the book of Acts. So if you have your Bibles or your devices, I want you to turn to Acts chapter 1, beginning in verse 1, is where we're going to start. But let me set the stage for a number of things about the book of Acts and what we're going to be doing in this series, because it's very important that we begin here. The book of Acts is a transitional book. It comes after the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And what it does is it tells us what happened when after Jesus ascended and went to heaven, gave the great commission to the disciples, and it's transition in the sense that it moves from Jesus' ministry on earth to the Holy Spirit's ministry on earth through the followers of Christ. And so it's historical in nature, but it is also like a revolving door. If you wanted to look at the book of Acts, it's like a revolving door. Now, a revolving door allows people to come in and out at the same time, doesn't it? A regular door such as these, typically you can either come in or you're going out. You can't do both. The book of Acts is transitional in the sense that Judaism is coming out and Christianity is coming in. And when you go through the pages of the book of Acts, you see that transition happening all the way through. And so as we look at the book and we go through all the historical events that are happening from the beginning to the end of it, you see that huge transition taking place. Now the book of Acts is not meant to be the only book of doctrine that we read. It is a transitional piece that shows us how the movement of God in the hearts and the lives of men and women is transforming the world around them. Now, there's a big argument when you come to the book of Acts. Many, many scholars, theologians, Bible study leaders argue about this. Is the book of Acts, is it, is it prescriptive in telling us how we're to act as a church or is it descriptive explaining how the church was acting in those days? And that's pretty important. Is it prescriptive? In other words, we're supposed to follow all the details of how the early church operated. And that is to be the model for how we are to do everything as a modern day church. Or is it pre descriptive and just describing to us what they did, but we don't necessarily have to follow it? So is it prescriptive or descriptive? Well, it's both. And when we look through the pages of the book of Acts, you will find that there are times it's prescriptive and there are times it's just simply descriptive. It describes what happens. We can find, for instance, that in the church there are officers such as elders and deacons 
And we find certain structures for the church in the early church of what they did in their worship services. So in some ways, it's prescriptive. But we also find what they did that we don't do today. Let me give you an illustration. At the end of the first chapter of Acts 1, you will find that they had to replace Judas. If you remember, he went and hanged himself. So they had to find a new disciple, a new apostle. The way they found him was they found two men, they brought them before the Lord, and they threw lots. They cast dice. And whichever one fell, the dice fell on that one person, they selected that person as a new apostle. Now that's descriptive, it's not prescriptive. We don't throw dice to find pastors. We don't throw dice. We need, hey, you know, I could see Jeff saying, we need a new small group leader. We'll break out the dice. Let's throw some dice here and let's find somebody. We don't do that. That's descriptive. That's what they did, but that's not what we're to do. Now, now you might say, why are you even bringing this up? What does it even have to do with the book of Acts? Here's what it has to do. So many times people get caught up on all these tangents and they miss the purpose of the book. People will be arguing about, oh, the book of Acts says we need to do this and we need to do this. Or, or, you know, we don't need to do this and we don't need to do this. And what happens is we get caught up into examples of Scripture. I had a pastor many years ago who told me this. He said, Phil, be careful not to take the examples in Scripture and make them precepts to follow. And so what we do, we understand they're prescriptive points And there are descriptive points. And we will define that as we walk through. Here's another thing about the book of Acts that's fascinating. It is filled with signs and wonders and miracles. And people speaking in known languages that they had never known before. Tongues of fire. The raising of the dead. All of these supernatural activities. And the book of Acts, from the beginning to the end, we see the supernatural power of God all through it. But listen to me. That's not the point of the book. It's not the point of the book. I believe in miracles. Matter of fact, I pray for them. This past week, Chris and I, my wife, were in a parking lot right over here in Scotts Hill praying for a woman who is about to go through some surgery for cancer. And we asked God to do a specific thing for her, and he did it. And we're so grateful for it. I believe in prayer. I believe in the power of God. I believe in supernatural miracles. That's not the point of the book of Acts. Why? Because supernatural activity never transforms hearts. It never does. Some of you are thinking right now, well, I want to push back on that. Well, let me give you some illustrations to the scripture. Remember Moses is leading the people through the Red Sea? If supernatural acts transformed people, then all the people of Israel should have been gloriously transformed. But they get to the other side of the sea and they begin to complain. They begin to grumble. They form a golden calf. They have this sexual orgy. And God kills many of them. And you see, supernatural acts don't necessarily transform lives. We see the same thing in the ministry of Jesus. He went from town to town, performing all kinds of miracles, raising the dead, feeding the 5,000. And in John chapter 6, he tells the crowd this, you are following me because your bellies are full. It never transformed them. Because what we're going to find in the book of Acts is what is absolutely necessary for transformation. 
So we're going to talk about miracles. We're going to talk about these things, but we're not going to define them and break them down and make it all about that. We're going to move on through the book of Acts. Now, let me set a couple of ground rules for us as we go through the book of Acts, okay? Here's the first thing. I am, I am going to, we are going to not study the book of Acts verse by verse, 28 chapters. That's a long study. We could do it, but we've not designed this study for it. We've designed it for 13 weeks, and we're going to work through this. And so that means this, that we're going to read large chunks of Scripture. And then I'm going to just carry a little bit of that in the teaching. So I'm putting this on you. It's going to be your responsibility to keep up with where we are. We provided a reading guide for you that will be out tomorrow. And on that reading guide, there may be large chunks. For instance, read all of chapter 1, and I'm going to, ver- I'm going to focus only on a few verses. All of chapter 2, I'm going to only focus on a few areas. Then we're going to read large chunks of Scripture, and I'm going to tell you what happened before and what happened after, and we're going to focus on some key points of Scripture in that. The book of Acts is a narrative It is a story. It moves all the way through. And it is a great reading. It's hard to put down once you get into it. But we're going to highlight the key verses that we want to focus on through the book of Acts. And there's one last thing I want to tell you before we jump in. This is really important. When our pastors got away and began to pray for what God is leading us to preach, we think that this is absolutely providential. Because the book of Acts is about the movement of God. That's why we entitled it The Movement. It is about God moving supernaturally through the message of the gospel to transform the hearts and the lives of men and women of all nations. And if you have not noticed in 2020 all of the movements that have surfaced, then you have been asleep and you've missed it. And not only just 2020, but for the last decade, there have been so many movements that have risen among our people and in our culture, haven't they? We see all kinds of isms. We see conservatism. We see liberalism. We see racism. We see nationalism, patriotism, um, capitalism, socialism, every other ism you can imagine. All of those are movements. They're real movements. And they have real consequences. But they're not the movement of the church. They're not. Now, can we take notice of that as believers in a culture? Absolutely. Can we move to transform some of that in in our culture? Yes, we're called to do that. But the major movement of the church is not the movements of our culture. Because the movements of culture will come and go, but the movement that God has for the body of Christ remains until he comes. And that is where we need to be. So I say this is providential because I believe that the Holy Spirit is leading us to understand what God is calling us to do. So having shared all of that with you, you're saying you only have a few minutes left to preach. You might be surprised. (laughs) But what we want to do is jump in now to Acts chapter 1, beginning in verse 1. 
Luke is the author of the book of Acts. He is a physician. He wasn't an original disciple of the Lord Jesus, but he also is the author of the gospel of Luke. And he says, in the first book, which means that the first book was the gospel. And his gospel was written to a man by the name of Theophilus. Oh, Theophilus. We don't know who Theophilus was. Some say he may have been a seeker. Some say he was a young believer. Most people think he was some kind of Roman official. But he says, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day when he was taken up. And he had given commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen. He presented himself alive to them after his suffering by many proofs. The suffering is his crucifixion, his resurrection from the dead. He began to present himself, appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. And while they were staying with, while, and while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you heard from me, for John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom of Israel? They were completely off track. They were asking the wrong question about the wrong things. So Jesus, as he had done his entire ministry in verse 7, he, he gently rebukes them and he said to them, it is not for you to know the times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority. In verse 8, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. Jesus says in verse 8, which is the mission statement for the whole book of Acts. Everything in the book is hinged on verse 8. That you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. That is the key. That is the anchor for the entire book. Because as you study the book, we're going to see that the book is going to flow directly from that statement. And not only is that the anchor for the book of Acts, it is the anchor for every believer. It is the anchor for every church. And whenever we begin to drift away from Acts 1-8, the Holy Spirit pulls us back because this is what we are called to do. This is who we are called to be. And when Luke writes these words under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, he gives to you and me and the church three essentials for fulfilling this mission. And so here's where we're going to land the rest of the day. We're going to talk about the three essentials. These are prescriptive, as a matter of fact. These are the things that we are to do. This is the way that we are to live our lives. And Jesus himself is saying to followers 2,000 years later, these essentials are absolutely necessary to fulfill the mission that I have for you. Here's what he says, the first one. We see the power for our mission. 
Jesus lays out for us very clearly the power for our mission. And we cannot do our mission without this power. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. The mission that God has called us to, we cannot do in our own power. We cannot do in our own strength. We cannot do in our own intellect, in our own abilities, in our own giftedness. Now, God gifts us in many areas for ministry, but we need his power. And the power that he's specifically speaking of here is the power of the Holy Spirit, the third person in the Trinity, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. You know what grieves me today is that there are a lot of churches that are doing a lot of great work, but they're doing it in their own strength and not in the power of the Holy Spirit. And when it comes to the Holy Spirit, there are a lot of people within every church who have different opinions on what the, who the Holy Spirit is. And so we can get confused. If you're here this morning and you're not a believer, or you're watching online, you're not a believer, you might say, whoa, what do you mean the Holy Spirit? Uh, is this some kind of like the force is with you, something falls on you, and something like that? You might be confused about that, but stay with us and we'll teach you more about who the Holy Spirit is. Then there are a lot of believers in the church, particularly in the Baptist church, who are afraid of the Holy Spirit. Oh, they love to talk about the Father and the Son, and what they refer to is the Father, Son, and the Holy Bible. But we're leaving out a third of the Trinity, who is the Holy Spirit. And we need the Holy Spirit in our life for effective ministry and Christian living. And then there's some out there who are rubbing their hands. They say, man, he's finally getting to the Holy Spirit. Man, I've been waiting for a long time because we need to know about his power in our lives. And then there's some who may be off-centered when it comes to the Holy Spirit. You may be putting way too much emphasis on the Spirit of God and you neglect the Son and you neglect the Father. Everything's about the Holy Spirit. But let me remind you, the Holy Spirit came to testify to Jesus. And he came to point us to the Father. And the Holy Spirit's job is to make us like Jesus and empower us to be like Jesus. No matter where your position is on the Holy Spirit, here's the thing that we need to understand. The ministry of the Holy Spirit is not a luxury. It's a necessity. It is, he is a necessity in our lives. Because without the Holy Spirit, there is no conviction of sin. Without the Holy Spirit, there is no conversion. Without the Holy Spirit, there is no cultivation of spiritual fruit. Without the Holy Spirit, there is no collaboration with spiritual gifts. Without the Holy Spirit, there is no convincing power with the message of the gospel. Without the Holy Spirit, you and I can't even complete the task that he's called us to. So we are to walk in the power of the Holy Spirit. The word power there in the Greek is the Greek word dunamis. You know what it means? Dynamite. God has intended his people to be walking sticks of explosive supernatural dynamite in this world. And when he calls the apostles and says, wait until the power of the Holy Spirit has come upon you. That phrase, come upon you, has confused a lot of people. And there are a lot of different positions that have flowed out of that. But what is Jesus telling his disciples? When he says the Holy Spirit will come upon you, that is in the aorist tense in, in the Greek language, which means it's a one-time act. 
And Jesus is referring to the day of Pentecost when he takes the baton and passes it to the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit carries out the mission and the work of Jesus on earth through believers. And on that day of Pentecost, we're going to see next week where the Holy Spirit falls upon those believers. And they are baptized in the Spirit of God. And from that point on, every single person who is a Christian is baptized in the Spirit of God. Every single person who is a Christian has the Holy Spirit indwelt within him or her. Every single person experiences this one-time activity when you come to faith in Christ and you are initiated into the body of Christ by the Holy Spirit's invading and taking up residency within you. From that point on, you have the indwelling power of the Spirit of God. And you might ask the question, if that's true, why is it that we don't see His power among us today. If that is true, why is it that we don't see people walking in its supernatural ways? I'll tell you why. Because it's not just the baptism of the Holy Spirit. You know what we see from this point on in the book of Acts? A phrase that constantly appears with the disciples, and here it is. And they were filled. And they were filled. And they were filled. And they were filled. On the day of Pentecost, they were baptized in the Holy Spirit and they were filled and filled and filled. And the baptism of the Holy Spirit is a one-time event at conversion. But then what happens is from that point on, there's to be a constant filling of the Spirit of God in us. And the reason we're so powerless is we're not allowing the Holy Spirit to be in charge. You know, that's what it means when Paul says, and it's a command, be filled with the Spirit of God. What does it mean to be filled with the Spirit of God? Let me tell you what it means. It means that you yield yourself to Him. You yield your pride. You yield your ambition. You yield your goals. You yield your desires. And the cry of your heart is, Holy Spirit, fill me to overflowing with your very presence. That the overflowing of your presence impacts my thinking, my choices, my life, my world. That's what it means to be filled with the Spirit of God. It means that we are to live every single day understanding that we need his presence and his power. Let me tell you what I see happen so many times in the church. So many believers are so afraid of going out on a limb with the Holy Spirit that they never climb the tree. We stand back, and yet the power we need is the power that he desires to flow through us. Some of you might be thinking, oh my goodness, has our pastor become charismatic? (laughs) Has our pastor become charismatic? Let me put it this way. If being filled with the Spirit of God and to walk in his power and his presence every single day and to allow him to work through me for his glory, would that not only I be charismatic, but every single member of this church would walk that way as well. Because that is what's missing. Let me tell you what our greatest needs are not. Our greatest need as a church is not better technology. That's not our greatest need. 
Our greatest need as a church is not new facilities. Our greatest need for the church is not better programs. Our greatest need for the church are not new ministers. Our greatest need for the church are not new ministries. Our greatest need for the church is not a new budget. Our greatest need for the body of Christ is the ageless power of the Holy Spirit living and dwelling in his people in such a way that our jobs are transformed, that our neighborhoods are changed, that our families never even walk the same way. That the Spirit of God is living in us so rich and so thick that when we walk into the lives of people and we gather around people, we are so filled with the Spirit of God that there's a boldness. And we're unafraid. I think the saddest thing in our culture today is what happened with Samson. And I think this is the saddest verse in the Bible. It says, the Spirit of God left Samson, and he knew it not. And if we're just content with trying to reach people with the gospel in our own power, we will never fulfill the mission. We need his Holy Spirit to fill us that we might be empowered to serve him. That's number one. Jesus gives us the power for our mission. But here's the second thing he gives us. He gives us the purpose for our mission. I love this. Once you receive power, here's your purpose, and you will be my witnesses. You know what our purpose is? Our purpose as the body of Christ, as individual believers, if you want to sum down all of our Christian life, we are called to be his witnesses. He says to his disciples, be my witnesses. Well, they kind of go off on a tangent. Yeah, but what about this? What about all these things? What about the, the, the territory of Israel? What about the nationalism of Israel? What about the immediacy of your return? No, 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 no. Those things are important, guys. But listen, here is your purpose. You testify of me. That's your purpose. That's what you're to be about. And I love the way Jesus tells them this, and he brings them back on point with this. Let me tell you what a witness is. A witness is simply an individual who tells what he or she has heard and seen. A witness is used 29 times in the book of Acts. And we see this all the way through it of the people of God giving witness about Jesus. Now, a witness just simply tells what they've seen, what they've heard. The judge is not interested in their opinion. He's not interested in how they feel about it. He just wants to know the facts. And you and I are called to tell people the truth about Jesus. We tell them the truth about Jesus in Scripture. We tell them the truth about Jesus in history. We tell them the truth about Jesus in our own lives. We tell them the truth about how Jesus is constantly changing me. And as I go through the process of transformation, everything is about what Jesus is doing. I am his witness. And the second meaning for the word witness is where we get the word martyr. It is a person who dies for a certain cause. In Acts chapter 7, we're introduced to Stephen. He is the very first Christian martyr in the New Testament. 
He stands giving a testimony about Jesus even to the point of death. And so a martyr is somebody who testifies about Jesus and refuses to recant even if there's a threat of death. G. Campbell Morgan wrote this about a martyr. He said, persecution never makes a martyr. It finds him out and wraps him in a flame of glory that we may see him forever. In other words, we're to be testifying of who Jesus is, what he has done for us, and what he can do for you. Let me tell you what our purpose is not. We are not called to be a judge. We're not called to be the judge of this world. And yet too many churches spend all their time pointing the finger and judging people who can't help how they act out of the condition of their darkened hearts. We're not called to judge. We're not called to be the prosecutor. Trying to bring up evidence against people to prove that they're wrong and that they're falling and that they're guilty. That's not our job. That's the Holy Spirit's job to do that in them. We're not called to be a defense attorney. I'm not called to try to speak on other people's behalf and give excuses about why they act that way. I'm not there to defend them. We are called to be witnesses. Period. That's our job. And as a body of Christ, when we walk in the power of the Holy Spirit and he overflows out of our lives, there's a boldness to tell people about Jesus. And listen, we're so confused these days because we're telling people about everything else. We're telling them about our political thoughts. We're telling them about all of our social thoughts. We're telling them about everything except for the one who transcends every movement and every issue of society. It's him. There's the power. There's the purpose for what we're called to. And then Jesus gives the plan. The plan for our mission. He says, Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria... And to the ends of the earth. I'm not going to spend much time here, but just listen. The rest of the book of Acts follows this plan. Perfectly. From chapter 1 to chapter 28. It follows the plan perfectly. In fact, this is how it breaks out. Jerusalem is their community. Acts 1 through 7. For the next couple of weeks, we're going to become experts on the community in Jerusalem. And see what the church was doing there. And what God used to get them to fulfill the plan beyond Jerusalem. Judea and Samaria, their country, Acts 8 through 12. And the Samaria was made up of what? Samaritans who were enemies of the Jews. And you know what we see a beautiful picture there of? Racial reconciliation in the early stages of the church in culture. Tomorrow's Martin Luther King's day. Actually, he was born on the 15th. And we're celebrating tomorrow the great accomplishments of the civil rights movement. You know where all that began? That began in the basement of the churches. Not in the alleys of the cities. In the basement of the churches. I want to challenge you. Get his letter that he wrote from jail. Read it. It's amazing. And we're called to bring that kind of racial reconciliation as the body of Christ. The ends of the earth, they're the continents. Acts 13 through 28. 
And as we go through, we're going to look at large chunks of this, and we're going to see how the gospel has moved. And you know when the ends of the earth was? In those days, they thought the end of the earth was Rome. The end of the earth is you and me. And the effectiveness of the gospel, how it has spread throughout. Now, let me give you one statement. What motivated them to do this? Verses 9 through 11. And when he, had heard, when he had said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up, and, and a cloud took him out of their sight. And while they were gazing into heaven as he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes and said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. You want to know what motivated them? The Lord Jesus is coming back. He is coming back. And they wanted to be found walking in power. Walking with their purpose and following his plan. Here's the great news. You ready for this? Nothing has changed about the mission. Nothing. You know how the book Acts ends? It doesn't. It ends with Paul in prison in Rome, and and it says that he was proclaiming the kingdom of God and teaching about Jesus in all boldness and was unhindered. End of book. Why does it have that kind of ending? Because there is no ending. Because the mission has not changed. Because you and I are called to do the same thing. To walk in the power of the Holy Spirit. As witnesses proclaiming Jesus to the world. Beginning in my community. And moving on to the ends of the earth. Let me tell you what we need. We need Holy Spirit power. Church, we need Holy Spirit power. It's one thing to have the Holy Spirit indwelt in you. It's another thing for you to be filled with Him to overflowing. You see, the problem is this. We want Holy Spirit power, but we don't want to submit to Him. We want Holy Spirit power, but we don't want to obey Him. We want Holy Spirit power, but we don't want to walk in holiness. We want Holy Spirit power, but we want it done on our terms. And the reason so many believers are inept in their Christian life is because they haven't surrendered to the promptings of the Spirit who lives in you and giving Him the right to be in charge of everything about you. Until we do that, We will walk as anemic believers, not having the power that the Father wants us to walk in. So that means we have to repent. We have to surrender those things that we know should not be in our lives. And we need to walk in submission to Him. Here's the second thing we need. We need to be consumed with telling others about Jesus. When you get on your social media, what do you talk about? When you get with your friends, what's the topic of your conversation? 
When you meet with your family, where's your focus? You see, those things really give away what's most important because the truth is this. If Jesus were the most important thing to me, everybody would know it. Lastly, we need to go to our community, our country, and to the continents. But it begins at home. It begins right here. See, the mission hasn't changed. The power hasn't changed. The purpose hasn't changed. The plan has not changed. But what God is calling is for us to change so that we will be the people in the church that we need to be. If there was ever a time that is ripe for the church to be the church, it is now. And I believe that God has used all of this that we have seen to purge the church, to purify the church, and to position the church. Wow, that's three Ps. For His glory. The choice is, what do we want to do? You see, the movement is still here. The movement's in this room. The movement's in your home. The movement's on your job. The movement is all around us. Let's not talk about apostolic heritage. Let's talk about apostolic success. Would you pray with me? Father, as we've poured over your word this morning, we're so grateful for how you love us. Thank you, Father, for sending your son, Jesus, to live a perfect human life. But all God and all man at the same time. And that he submitted himself to the evil intentions of humanity and was crucified and died. And as the song sang that we sang earlier, satisfied your wrath and took our place. And that he rose on the third day and that he is alive today. Thank you, Father, that the Lord Jesus is before us even now and he is handed to his bride, the church, the mission that is before us. And Father, may we submit to that and walk in that that we might effectively carry out what you have left for us. Father, I pray for this church, I pray for Scotts Hill, that you would stir our hearts in such a way, Father, that we would never be the same. Father, I pray for those who are among us maybe that are not believers and they're for the first time listening to the message of the gospel. I ask, Father, that your Holy Spirit would continue to echo in their minds and their hearts these truths. And that, Father, you would do a miraculous work inside of them. And I pray, Father, for opportunities to speak with them, to lead them into a deeper understanding of what you have for humanity. Father, we submit all of this to you. We ask, Father, that you would be pleased in all that we do. And we pray in Jesus' name.
Amen. Thank you for listening to the Scotts Hill Podcast. And thank you also to those who continue to give with generosity. If you're new to this podcast and want to learn more about Jesus or our church, go to scottshill.org slash next steps for more information. If you enjoyed the podcast, you can subscribe to get notifications of future episodes. You can also share it with your friends via text message or take a screenshot and post it onto your social media stories. Whatever you want to do, just make sure to tag us at Scott's Hill. Until next time.